Okay, welcome into another episode of the TD Pod. This is our last preseason bonanza episode. Um, Baylor opens against Albany here this this forthcoming Saturday. Jeff, will you be there? Uh, I, my plan originally was to be there, but I will not because I think there's a good chance I'm moving back into my house this weekend. So the the long the, the long arduous journey is nearly over. So it's either this weekend or next weekend. So I won't be there this week, but I should be there for game three. Well, that that notice is on to you. Then I'm presuming this is an ESPN Plus game, which means that the Baylor Vision people are probably handling the broadcast. So all you interns and uh, students who are helping get that production right, let's uh, let's get that good so that Jeff can see the uh, see it well on the TV and not have a Texas State debacle on our hands. I know that wasn't the Baylor people; that that was the Texas State people that time. So I trust and hope in the Baylor people. But we have a. A bit of a a bit of a hard time crunch here, and I have you know we had a million questions we want to get over, so we're gonna we're gonna cut with the banner banter and really get into it. But as a brief overview for what we'll be discussing today, we want to provide an a, you know context and overview for the offense and defense, and then for the team overall. You know we've broken down the team into its constituent parts, so I don't think we're going to be doing a lot of individual position group analysis in this episode. In fact, I know we won't be because otherwise we'll never get to even half of what we want to talk about. So the idea here is going to be kind of like, what are the identity of the offense and defense going to be? How good are they going to be? What are the best case, worst case, um, and how do they perform against the competition? And then ultimately, I want to end. Uh, you know, we want to end by having our predictions out there for what the season's going to look like. I don't know if we're going to go hard and fast on on a record prediction, but you know, basically what we think this team is going to be, how good they're going to be, where they're going to finish in the league, that kind of stuff. So, Jeff, you ready to hop in here? Let's do it. Okay, you want to start offense or defense? Uh, let's do offense because I think the defense is going to be better, so we can end on a higher note. There we so, go. Yeah. Okay, so first question, very broad. This is kind of like uh, you know thinking about a national reporter with get some time with Jeff Grimes or with Aranda here. But what is the what becomes the offensive identity in twenty twenty two? And obviously, you know they have the RVO thing, the reliably viable offense. I think we have both agreed in previous podcasts that the that the core identity of the offense, basing around wide zone with play action boot game and deep shots. Um, is going to be there, but how, how you know specifically? How do you feel like this offense's identity shifts from 2021 into kind of what they hang their hat on in 2022? So I think it's going to be a lot of what we saw last year. Um, I, I think there the if if you're a fan and you're thinking that because we've got shaping in that we're, they're going to be just you know. Th- slinging the ball around the yard and just it, it it's really going to open up I, I would i would disabuse you of that notion i think what you're going to see over the course of the season is you're going to see an offense that starts off that looks remarkably similar to what they ran last year i the one thing for sure that there will be less of is going to be the midline zone they're not going to put shape in up the middle and do any of the lead stuff with him like they did with gb um but outside of that i think it looks honestly very, very similar. The two differences that are going to develop over the course of the season is as as the wide receivers get more comfortable and get better and they start to get a solid group, I think you'll see more drawback passing on standard in standard down situations. Last year when they wanted to pass on a standard down, it was always off a play action game. I mean, it just, it always was. I think that you see more standard down, just straightforward drop back passing. Um, I also think that they will probably hold a lot back. Uh, we, we got a pretty good inkling of how they wanted to game plan last year. 
And something that really stood out on tape was they really liked to hold on to their – the plays they really knew were going to hit, they held on to them until they were in a high leverage moment. Yeah. So, that like, if you're – you know, as long – you know, if they're up by – I'm making something up. Like, let's say they're up by, like, two possessions against BYU in the third – like they're just going to run wide zone. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, you're not you're not going to see anything complex. You're not going to see anything outstanding. You're not going to see any of like you won't see a lot of like custom screenplay if that's in the bag and a bunch of other stuff. Like they are they are going to um, put as little on tape as they need to outside of their base stuff. And I think play towards the strengths of the offense or the, the excuse me the, the skill position players which are tight ends. So I think it's going to be a lot more tight end passing game early in the season. And then custom, because the wide receivers are so young, there's probably going to be a few specific plays that they work depending on the expected coverages they're going to see that week. So, you know, they'll have five pass plays that are really geared towards a specific type of defense, but that will change weekly, and you'll just see that implemented more in the game plan. But I do think the offense looks very, very similar. Another area where I think you're going to see a difference, and you mentioned this with the standard down dropback passing is uh, more, you know, more of a proclivity and willingness to take those early down deep shots. Uh, I know we talked about this in the in the passing game uh, preview episode, but you know, w- once Gary stopped miss uh, start, stopped hitting those regularly last year, that really kind of put a cap on the offense. So I think what you mentioned though is interesting. Early in the year, they might be calling kind of more conservative first down passing sets where they're attacking with the tight ends, but then ultimately they're going to be hoping that they have a weapon outside who steps up as well. Um, And I had another area where I think the offense is going to look a little bit different. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, Oh yeah. And I think, you know, as we, I think as we mentioned in the, in that other episode as well, like I expect a lot more empty formations this year. Um, which I think is is going to provide a, a nice twist for the offense, just kind of another tool in the toolkit that they won't pull out in every game. I mean, they'll run a little bit of empty in every game, I think, but in some games it might be like a really heavy focal point. That wasn't something we saw a lot out of Baylor last year. So I think ultimately, yeah, the, the identity is the same. I think another aspect, though, too, is that you could really tell last year that they only had a handful of like bread and butter, got to have it type plays that they could use in certain situations. I think the hope is like you talked about previously with, you know, having a good screen game, both with wide receiver screen and running back screen. They just have a few more plays that they feel really, really good about it. And so instead of like four or five plays that they feel like they've mastered by this point, hopefully they'll have seven, eight or nine, which will just give the offense a little bit more variety, which is really big. And those got to have it situations so the defense can't just play on their toes for certain looks. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of in agreement. It looks really the same with just, Uh, you know, changing up in a few specific areas due to the change in quarterback and with it being second year under Grimes. So a question I wanted to bring up because I was thinking about this with last year uh, with Oklahoma State. So Baylor played them twice, obviously. Oklahoma State finished top five defensively in both FEI and SP Plus, I believe. I mean, they were an absolutely dominant defense. And what we saw from Baylor last year is there was only really a couple of games where a defense was really able to put the clamp on Baylor's offense. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of really good defenses in the Big 12 this year, but I don't know if there's going to be any elite level defenses like we saw from Oklahoma State, you know, outside of probably Baylor's defense. So that'll be something I have my eye on as well, because 
I think, you know, Baylor's offensive line is going to be really good to dominate and push around a lot of the defenses they face this year. Uh, but it'll be really nice to not have to face a front seven. And really, it was the, the you know, the back end with the safeties of that Oklahoma State defense that was able to muck things up. So are you um, are you seeing any other teams that you're watching out for kind of developing an elite level defense that could really, really kind of have a game to where Baylor's struggling to get to that 14, 17, 21 point range? Um. I think K-State's defense is going to be outstanding. I don't know if they're going to be able to get all the way there, but there, I think they, they they seem like a prime candidate to me to to roll in with a defense that's kind of like that Baylor 2020, which is like it's really good, maybe great, but not a week. Like that seems about where I think that they're going to end up. The other defense, though, they're like I, Venables is just he's too good of a coach for me to just rule them out of like having a top 10 defense by November. I, I, is it likely this year in his first season? No, I don't think it is, but he is, he's too good of a defensive coach. And so if, if they are, if it's, you know, November and Oklahoma is, you know, a top 15 defense to top 10 uh, defense, that wouldn't surprise me. But, so, but those are the only two teams that I look at and think that they have a chance to be, you know, in that upper echelon. Now there are a bunch of, I think there are a bunch of just good defenses this year, but those are the only two that I think have a chance outside of Baylor's obviously to be significantly better than um, just like good to really good. Okay. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement there too. Um, yeah. yeah, the reason I, I wanted to bring that up is because, um, you know, with how, and we'll, we'll talk about the defense here later in the episode, obviously, but I think that's important to note because even when Baylor struggled last year, the great thing about having one of the top offensive coordinators in the game, like Baylor does with Jeff Grimes, is that we saw in games, you know, like the Iowa State game, for for instance, or even in the Kansas State game, when they're facing really, really solid, you know, ton of top 30, top 20 level defenses, that he was able to scheme their way to 21 points, um, which in combination with Baylor's defense this year, I think is going to get them, you know, a fantastic chance to win basically every game they play. And so without like an elite level defense that is going to hold Baylor to under 17, 14 points in any particular game, I think that is kind of a big deal for me, given how good we think Baylor's defense is going to be um, just, you know, truly kind of gives you a chance to, to stick in every game. And so with yeah. that question, um, you know, how good do you think this offense needs to be to be at like, you know, for sure, like given what we feel like we know more about the defense how good does the offense need to be for you to be like, oh yeah, this team is like almost definitely getting into the Big Twelve Big Twelve title game and you know potentially making a playoff game? Do they need to be like top thirty good, top twenty good, top fifteen good? Where is that kind of marker for you? So I get it depends on the adjective you want to use. So are you saying like has a good chance or like I would be surprised if they didn't make the Big Twelve title? Yeah, like because that, that spectrum, so I'd be surprised. Oh, um, honestly, a top ten offense it's going to be it's going to have to be that level of good before i would go yeah i think they're pretty i, I think that, that i would be surprised if they didn't get it they there's going to be more variance this year because they're going to turn the ball over more right. and so like because of that and because of the schedule difficulty i don't you know the offense is going to have to be maybe i'll, I'll say top 15 not 10 um are you talking playoff or title game here title game um, but even like title game, like that, getting to that level, the schedule is the schedule is a lot harder this year, mm -hmm. and it be like that. That has to be factored in. I think fans, and I, I have a tendency to do this too when I think about the season, which is I kind of flash back to last year and go, 
huh, okay, so how does this work? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm parsing through everything and like, how does, how do we get all this, you know, how do I compare last year to this year? And you're looking at the same teams from last year and it just, the schedule is so much more difficult that barring between that and the expected, I'm just expecting the increase in turnovers. I, I think they would have to have a genuine, like, 30 points per game to 33 points a game offense consistently to where I would go, okay, I'd be surprised if they didn't make it because it just, there's too many difficult games in there where, um, you know, I could see them dropping two like pretty easily. Like just, there's just, it's there like a a way, uh, an issue that they're going to struggle with the whole season. Again, it's just, it's just schedule difficulty. And Mm. I'm going to harp on that a lot in the first part of the season because fans are going to, I, I, I said this on the last pod, but I really do think it's true. I don't think Baylor's played a schedule this tough since like 2005, 2006. And so if, if that really is the case, then, you know, Baylor could have, I mean, Baylor could literally have the best team it's had in 20 years and might not get 10 wins. So it there is, there has to be an acknowledgement of how difficult the schedule is going to be. And if to get to like say that they are for sure they can get through, then they're going to have to have a just, not even a good. They're gonna have to have a purely elite offense, like over the course of the season. That's the other issue is they don't need to have an elite offense in November. They would have to have a great offense by honestly, probably by the start of um the start of conference play, and it would need to be elite by like mid to late October. So it just your time frame, if you're if you're if you're asking me to do that, not only do they need to be elite, they they need to be elite if you think about it from last year where the defense, we would qualify the defense as elite, I think, starting in the Oklahoma, uh, in that Oklahoma game. If the offense gets there by the equivalent of the Oklahoma game, that's going to be too late. Like, it's going to have to happen earlier than that for them to – for me to say that. That doesn't mean, like, that they could can't get there. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But if you're asking me to say I would be surprised if they didn't get in, yeah. then they're going to have to have an elite offensive play by the I first or second points yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would disagree with you there. Just be, just based off what I've seen previously from the teams that make the title game, um, you know, if you kind of prefigure here a top fifteen defense for Baylor, um, I think you know, I, I don't, I would be, I think if they had a top fifteen defense and a top twenty five offense, I'd be pretty surprised if that didn't get them into the title game this year. I understand the schedule difficulty and stuff like that, but just kind of when you look historically, that is like a top 15 defense in combination with a top 25 offense is like a legit top 10 quality team kind of in that like seven to 10 range. Um, and I think, you know, obviously it just depends on how the variance plays out. And I, and I think you're right to point out, like that is what's crazy about college football, right? Like you can have an elite offense and if you have two stinkers at the wrong time, then, you know, it can kind of tank your whole season. You know, something I'm yeah. really, really keeping my eye on with Blake Shapin this year is that, I feel really confident about Blake playing up in the biggest games and having, you know, we saw him in the big 12 title game. That was the best game he's probably ever played in his life. And it was in the biggest moment. He was calm, collected, all those other terrific adjectives, played with moxie, with toughness, played through an injury. And so I I feel really good about like in the biggest contest this year, Blake's going to play up. The offense is going to play up. Like Baylor's going to put their best foot forward. You know, he still might throw an interception or two, but it's going to be like, not like, WTF type interceptions. What I'm curious about is when Baylor's on the road at Tech, when they're playing at West Virginia, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of another game that can be considered kind of like a trap game. Or I mean, maybe even if they aren't respecting Iowa State early in the season, which they shouldn't. They should read my rankings. I have Iowa State number three preseason. They're going to be very good. Uh, but, like, those kind of games where it's like you can't sleepwalk your way through those and throw three picks and just expect to come out of the game with a win. So it's that kind of consistent nature that I think is the real bugaboo um, that could bite Baylor in the in the heel this year. But, yeah, I mean – that's that's and I think that's why Iran has been harping so much on kind of like consistency, uh, you know, playing through adversity, all those kind of things, because, you know, there's going to be a half where Baylor just plays like absolute crap and they have to respond in the second half or they played great the first half and then they have to hang on by the skin of their teeth when it's the last drive of the game. They've played really poorly all all second half, but all of a sudden they got to put the clamps on on the last drive or else, you know, their season's going to change that. Those are the kind of moments that I think are going to be really big this year because, you know, I, I know I said this earlier this offseason, but try and think of the percentage of games Baylor is going to play this year where the spread is going to be at seven points or under. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, I, I can't remember the number I came up with at the time, but I think you could reasonably see eight or nine games Baylor plays in this year have a spread be at seven or under. There's going to be a lot of close games. So, yeah, that kind of consistency throughout the season is definitely going to be something to watch. Um, yep. So let's let's finish with – uh, best expected and worst case scenarios for the offense. Uh, let's start with your kind of expected case. Um, you know, what is, what is shape and look like? What does the offense overall look like? Um, and are the, it, it, it is your kind of expected case good enough to get them over the hump? So I'll start with this, um, you know, barring shape and doing something completely and totally crazy, like throwing the ball backwards just cause he's like, I don't know out of his mind like we're not going to be able to really form any judgments out of the albany game you know they're going to pick they're going to pick a few big plays like shaman's going to have big numbers in that game and everyone's going to get all excited and it, it's not going to matter like yeah. it's great they're going to play well but it, it doesn't really matter he's going to be throwing to wide uh, up and dudes downfield like, yeah, so. <laughs> it, yeah it just it's not yeah um and the, by the way there's a saying there's a mac brown saying that i always liked which is when you play a team that sucks you don't find out if you're any good. You find out whether you suck or you might not suck. Like, that's all you know. So <laughs> when they play Albany, the only two things that are going to come out of that are we might not suck or, oh, no, we actually suck. So I- I'm expecting to own the only piece of information I'm expecting to get from the Albany game is they might not suck, and that's okay. But, you know, outside of that um, or that, you know, out- after that one qualification, I don't think that <sighs> – I think an expected case for them is going to really heavily revolve around two things, and it, the, my I just I can't get around the idea that I don't think that the um, I don't think that we can get any further without having to deal with wide like wide receiver play. Like they are at the bottom of the developmental cycle with wide receiver play, and it's just going to be a lot of guys that are out there trying to. Um, out there trying to do their best and trying to figure it out, but it's a bunch of underclassmen. I mean, that's it. I mean, it is. And so the guy, a lot of people that we, there are people not underclassmen out there, but that that's just going to take growth. And so I, I expect the passing game to struggle more than people expect it will honestly, probably until like the end of October that, that kind of feels like a good time frame. I think they're going to, um, I think they're going to use the tight end passing game as the bailout mechanism in the first half of the season while they work on trying to get the wide receivers up to kind of up to scratch. And so I think that I do really believe that the offensive passing game, I think people are setting themselves up to be a little disappointed because mm-hmm. it just, 
those kids are young and it doesn't mean they're bad players. It means they're young. Like if we're going to, you know, talk adult level football, like guess what? You know, there's a huge difference between a 19 year old with, with nine or three or 18 months of experience and a 23 year old with four years in a college system. I mean, it just, it's an enormous difference. So they're at the bottom of the developmental cycle there. And I, I just, I think that the passing game is going to take a little while longer to get going. Now, my hope is it doesn't. And, you know, that would be incredible if they rolled out and dropped 50 on BYU because they know that defense well. Um, I mean, that would be remarkable. But I also like the realist in me says the passing game is going to struggle while those wide receivers figure it out in, in the first half of the season. Um, that's That's my expected case. The best case for me um, the best case for me, honestly, is that all that developmental stuff gets gets pushed up. I, I think that's really what if the, if the for the fan looking at home, basically all of your skill position players are going to be learning on the job, with the exception of the tight ends. But your quarterback is going to be learning on the job, your running backs are learning on the job, and basically all of your wide receivers are going to be learning on the job. The best case scenario is that those guys get it figured out by the Iowa State game. I think the average case scenario is that they get it figured out by the end of October, and the worst case scenario is they don't get it figured out this year. And it doesn't mean that they won't be great next year. It just means, that, again, like those guys are young. So that's you know, if we take the injuries, you know, we're, we're kind of we're we're parking the injury discussion because that obviously changes so much. But that the growth and the quickness of the skill position growth is really, I think, the difference between like if we can say the word, I think, one more time this week because there's still technically preseason. But the difference between a Big 12 title game and a legitimate playoff shot yeah. versus nine wins versus six wins, which I don't think they're going to win six, but it's also like six is an absolute worst case for me and like realistic worst case. So, I mean, it's not impossible, but the big differences between that, honestly, when I look at the team is skill position player growth over the course of the season. And if they get it done quicker, like the faster they get it done, the faster that I start to feel very comfortable with talking about the playoffs. I won't mention it again until honestly, like the big 12 title game, but that's that's what I would look for. And uh, one last time, I know I harp on it a lot, but when kids run the wrong routes against Albany and when kids get jump the wrong hole or, you know, do a cutback they're not supposed to against BYU and you're like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? Like, it, it's these guys, like, first big game on the road. Like, give them some time, yeah. you know, and just, just, just remember that. So, yeah, okay. that, that would be my, Okay, so to you, like, what do you, what do you think on that? I mean, so when you're talking about the passing game stuff, what my mind immediately goes to is I feel really good barring injuries that Squirrel and Tay are going to be very, very good. The running game is going to be awesome. Um, And I feel really good about the tight ends, both in the running game and the pass game. And, you know, as much as, you know, I think as the discussion rightly for Shapin goes, like how good is he when he's executing these pure drop back game stuff that could kind of take the offense to the next level – the other aspect of, it, of me goes, well, how good is this offense if it just becomes, okay, none of our guys outside of wide receiver are really becoming a dominant threat, but this offense just becomes basically last year's offense except for, um, and so it's, it's revolving around wide zone, it's revolving around play action boot game. Maybe the wide receivers aren't commanding attention over the top, but they're able to run all of those kind of basic route tree stuff that they were able to do last year well. And so, you know, the question for me is, okay, so if you're – if that if the offense kind of becomes that, which I think is kind of a not worst case scenario, but you know it's it's not what you want because I think for Baylor to get where they need to go this year, the wide receivers, you know, at least one of them needs to become a true like attention seeker from the defense, and so 
if you get to a stage where the wide receivers are still kind of struggling to get their footing early in the season, it's the middle of the season, we aren't really sure what we have in them yet, but has Baylor been able to just kind of run their way to victory and boot game their way to victory and play action pass their way to victory against Iowa State on the road at West Virginia, at home against Oklahoma State? That's kind of the big question for me, um, and this ties back into my uh, comment about the defense too. I mean, if Baylor's holding all those teams under 21 points, do I feel good about Grimes being able to scheme Baylor's way to 28 points or 24 points in games like that if they're not getting good wide receiver play yet? And I think the answer to that is yes. Um, well, so I, I'll push back on that slightly, which is I, I would agree with you. The answer is 20, but there's a there's a there's an huge difference between 21 and 28 and so Mm -hmm. like and i think that's where the turnovers come in which is if you tell me that if you say that that let's let's pick the let's pick the west virginia game because i think that's 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 probably the biggest trap game on the schedule to me yeah is that if you look at the west virginia game you'd say like okay there's a 90 percent chance that they hold west virginia to 24 points how confident do you feel in victory Mm. i'd say like I'd say 50, I feel 50. confident. That's like, <laughs> I mean, honest, like honestly, it's 50-50 because when I look at it, I think that's so – it's just so easy for me to see a scenario where like Shapin is going to have one or two games in those three games where he has two or three turnovers. Right. And so if the defense holds them to 20 and then – but you give up like one pick six and then you put them in another position for an easy three – all of a sudden, it's at like twenty-eight or thirty. Yeah. And if they've given away two or three possessions based off turnovers, how confident do I feel in them getting to thirty-one off of like eight possessions? I, honestly, yeah. I don't. Right. So it's just it's the the lack of possessions is going to be interesting this year, particularly with the turnovers because the turnovers are going to hurt. They're going to hurt a lot more than they did. Um, than they did under Art Bryles, where you just had so many possessions to where, honestly, like you, the turnovers were pushed down in relative importance because you had so many bites at the apple. Now, is it possible that this team just is awesome and like doesn't really turn the ball over and they really, you know, put some guardrails on him and don't let him throw the ball around the yard because the wide receivers are not there yet? I'm, Yes, and I think that's probably how they're getting to 24 points or so. But at a certain point this year, they're going to ask him to – they're going to ask Chapin to open all the way up in preparation for some of the bigger games in November. And because they're not – going to look to Iowa State there. Um, yeah. Because one thing about Iowa State's scheme is that they really kind of put the clamps on any of that boot game with how they play their safeties in the corners and the flats. Um, yeah. And so I think that'll be kind of a key test for it's like, okay, can Shapin do this whole just like open up on first and 10 and throw the rail down the sidelines and just barely have a wide receiver who can win there. Um, so that'll, I think that'll be an interesting game to watch. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, I think both of us, you know, you kind of provided the little bit more of the pessimistic side of the coin. I provided more of the optimistic side of the coin. But I think we're kind of we're kind of in, in agreement as to where the flexion points are. You know, what the odds that you place on each of these things happening is what's you know more or less impossible to determine at this point. But I think it's definitely fair, as you said, to kind of think expect a group of wide receivers, which is coming back with like five total returning receptions or something like that to probably not really put it all together until the back half of the season. And so at that yeah. point, the question becomes, can they run the ball and, t- and and use tight ends in the passing game and the run game and get them to where they're six and one entering November? That's kind of a big question for me. Um, and we'll see what happens on that. I mean, they, they, 
the Big 12 is crazy. The, you know, at Iowa State, tough. At West Virginia, tough. At home against Oklahoma State, tough. So, I mean, yeah, we'll find out soon enough, I think. So let's uh, switch yep. on to the defense. Um, we'll do a little bit shorter here on the defense before we switch to kind of the overall expectations for the year. Um, but, again, I, the answer to this might just be a yes period and then on to the next question. But should we basically expect this year, Jeff, the defense to look like a more fleshed out version of the defense that played against um, Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game and Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl? Part of me wants to answer yes, and another part of me wants to answer no because what they got to by that by the end of the season was they were just able to beat people with their base defense. And so, you know, if uh, one of the things that's interesting to go and back and look at is in the um, LSU Clemson game against in the national title game. Um, Aranda ran some really interesting stuff in that he ran like in, you know, he'd had a month plus to get ready for that game. And on standard downs, he ran what they always run. They ran one rat. And when they thought it was like more of a passing scenario, they ran quarters. And when it wasn't, they ran one rat. Now they ran some banana stuff on third down, like Mm. some genuinely crazy, like I have really no idea what this is or what to call it. And it's a custom thing that Aranda put in for this game and they probably never see it again. But on standard downs, they ran in the biggest game of the season with all the time in the world. They ran their two, they ran the two plays that they run the most over the entire year. I think you're going to see that for Baylor, which is on the, on the, on par, they're going to run a lot of quarters because the front is so good. And they're just going to sit in quarters until they until they don't need to. And I think it's a similar situation to uh, offense where, you know, offense is – we said earlier that the offense is going to only pull out, I think, certain plays in high leverage moments because they don't want to put too much on tape. I think the defense is going to do the same around, like, pressure packages and certain coverage schemes, which is it's going to look very similar. And then on a handful of important um, – in a handful of important situations and against BYU, they'll pull out so, something custom. But for the average down in, down out scenario, I think that you're gonna. It's not gonna be like what Rule did, it, Rule and Snow did in 2019, where they the defense knew them so well at that point that they could really run a lot of custom base stuff out of that three high safety look. You know, they and they ran different. They ran you know kind of the same base package, but they also ran a lot of stuff that was custom to the opponent by week over the course of that season. I don't think that you're going to see that with Aranda because the playbook is not quite as is not as big and they're more check-based. So it's going to be a lot more base quarters, base one rat, and then I think more complex rush packages, but honestly kind of a lot of the same. Yeah, I agree with all that. And if you're wondering what the hell one rat is or what quarters is, please go listen to our episode that we did a few weeks ago on defensive pass uh, coverages um, but the, the, the bare bones there is one rat is a cover one with one high safety and quarters is a two high coverage. That's a little bit more safe against the pass. So there's that. Um, but I think what you said is exactly right in the sense of, I think the third down pressure packages where I'm really looking for Roberts to kind of like, you know, offensive coaches, they dream up plays all off season of how they can spring guys open for Roberts all off season. It's been like, okay, we're still going to run all our base stuff, but on this third and six you know against BYU in a big moment he's going to pull out something that they've been drilling and and really kind of working all offseason that's a that's a new wrinkle based on the amount of just pure pass rushers they have on this team this is something we briefly mentioned before but the pure number of combinations that you can come up with for what is Baylor's best pass front 
uh, pass rush unit to put on the field in third downs this year. It's just pretty wild. Um, you know, they've got guys like Bryson Jackson and Victor Obi who are speed defense off the edge. They've got Jackson Player, Gabe Hall, Apu Iko, who you can send up the middle. Um, and then obviously there's guys like Matt Jones um, and, uh, excuse me, I almost said Terrell Bernard, Matt Jones and Dylan Doyle, who can come back from off ball there too. And who knows what, you know, what Al Walcott becomes in the pass rush game is another kind of big question to where we just don't have a lot. We don't, there's not a lot to go off there other than we know he loves to play a million miles an hour and he loves to be aggressive. So I feel pretty good about him at least being a, a usable piece in the pass rush. So I think it's going to be really fun to see what they do on pass rush downs this year. And even, I mean, honestly, this is kind of crazy, but even guys like Lorando Johnson at corner, we know how much Aranda loves to use corner blitzes and Roberts loves to use corner blitzes and the safeties. We, you know, when we talked about the pass coverage unit as well, we talked about how Lemire, Devin Lemire, the free safety is kind of a back to front guy. He's awesome. You know, kind of exploding from depth forward and Devin Neal, his counterpart. So anyway, that's a long explanation where I basically just labeled and named every Baylor player and said, all of them should be useful on blitzes. And that's something not a lot of defensive coordinators get to play with. So I think the third down packages are going to be pretty, uh, pretty bananas this year. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to uh, talk about here, Jeff, is um, well, you know, I think we already kind of talked about with offense. So let's just kind of go ahead and skip to best case, expected case, worst case scenarios for the defense. Best case, the promise of the safeties, the athletic promise of the corners and the safeties pays off. And the vibes that we are getting on Gabe Hall are there. And basically Matt Jones, Gabe Hall, I would say Matt Jones, Gabe Hall, and and Randolph all take the steps that we expect them to take. Dylan gets more consistent. And the secondary... Um, by I'll say with the secondary like those those first cats I'll say like that's more of like early season growth like we'll be able to tell I think pretty quickly by the end of the BYU and definitely by the end of the uh, Iowa State game where those guys are for the secondary though it's going to be a lot more of of learning um, like they still need to learn a lot of the playbooks so if they're still struggling into November like that that doesn't that doesn't concern me the way it would if like the front seven guys were struggling against BYU. Okay. But uh, so I'll say, and then for the back seven or for the secondary guys, I'd say that they are, they're where they need to be by November. And if all that plays out, it's a top five defense. It's a top five. I mean, it's, it's a top five defense. It is, it will be the, um, if all that stuff played out, it's the best defensive unit Baylor has had since the eighties. And I think that's, I don't, I, 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 yeah, just that. Like, uh, there's a potential there to have a genuinely elite defense, and I, I I know that Mateos and Grimes are happy to not be playing that defense in practice anymore. They want to go hit somebody else, but it's it, that's that's the path there. I think the expected case for me, though, um, you know, you're not every single player becomes awesome. That's just kind of the reality. Like, there's going to be some of those guys that are probably a little better, but not significantly better, and they struggle with consistency. Uh, and we don't really know who it's going to be, but even if you just kind of put it, if you cut the set, half of those guys in the front seven are going to get better. The other half are not, are just going to be a little bit better. And then let's say that the secondary is, you know, end of November instead of like end of October, then I think it's like a top 20 ish defense, right? Kind of right in there. Um, My expected case is probably top 15 to top 20. Now it's there. I will say like, I have heard vibes coming out of camp that the defense is, really really good um i want to see that against byu before i jump on that bandwagon but 
an important thing when you listen when you when you hear guys from inside the camp coaches know the team better than you do and people on staff actually tend to know the team better and so that that's the vibes that are coming out i tend to go towards the best case scenario but i am a little bit of a realist or pessimist so i won't um worst case scenario honestly it, it doesn't include injuries i think is a top 25 defense i would right. be short of a bus accident, knock on wood, God forbid. It's very difficult for me to see a scenario where this is worse than a top 20, top 25 defense. I just, there's too much depth in the front with good players that there's just too much good, there's just too many good quality players there. Yeah. And, you know, they may really, like worst case, they really struggle in the secondary and there's, you know, even, even if there are a bunch of injuries, like if there are injuries in the front seven, again, it's incredibly deep. Like Chidi, go back to this. Like Chidi is the third string nose tackle. And that's just, yeah. that's just nuts. I mean, it's just nuts. There's no way to put it. So I, that, that would be my, that, that would be mine. What about you? Well, I mean, so I tend to always try and, and I'll try and keep this answer somewhat short. Um, I tend to try and chunk things into the constituent parts. And so that's why we're talking about the team before we talk about the overall expectations for the team, we're talking about offense and defense first, right? And so when I look at the defense itself, I think it's important to kind of like add up how good you eat, you think each player is at each spot and then kind of make your, you know, make your uh, decision at that point. And I, I'm not saying you didn't do that, Jeff, but yeah, when you I kind of delineated it out here, you know, I've been out on the record. I think Al Walcott is an all big 12, you know, defensive back. Um, you know, whether it's first team or second team, I think he's just going to be phenomenal. I think Matt Jones has a great shot of getting that too, because he's going to be one of these guys who fills up the stat sheet because of how much pass rush he does and getting in the backfield. We've already talked about, we think Dylan Doyle's, I mean, he was a preseason um, first team, all big 12 guy. Apu Aika, we know how good Jackson player is. There's not a lot of projection there. You've been out there saying you think Cole Maxwell has a chance to get drafted and a, and a, and a, a decent chance at that. We know Gabe Hall has the potential to be a day two pick. We know Garmin Randolph has the potential to be a uh, day two pick. As you said, you probably don't you don't choose the maximum upside for each of those guys. But I think when you average all this out, you're just like, holy hell, this is a defense who legitimately could have five or six guys on all Big 12 team, if not more, uh, if you consider first and second teams. Um, you know, it's a defense that could have seven or eight draft picks on it, um, you know, very reasonably, I think. And so you're basically putting that amount of talent in one of, you know, as you've said so many times, one of the top five defensive staffs in all of football, including the NFL. Um, it's pretty hard for me to not say I feel like, you know, again, barring injuries, I think the floor floor here is something like a top 15 to 20 defense. Um, I think I think to get below that. They have to be so bad at a couple of the secondary spots to where like they it doesn't matter what the front does because teams can just light up who's ever lining up at corner. And just given the talent there, I, I think the possibility of that happening is so small. So anyway, to, to wrap this answer up, I think this is probably the best defensive front Dave Aranda has ever played with when you're when you're talking the defensive line, outside backers, inside backers, and the star. Um, including including the units he's had at LSU, I know some of the, a couple of those units particularly were very very good, um, but I think this is probably the best front he's played with, and I think the the DBs are going to be well schooled enough to not kind of blow the gasket on everything they're doing up front. So I just 
you know, I guess expected case, I would say like around the 10th rate defense and, and uh, if not higher, maybe around seventh or eighth nationally. And then you can kind of fluctuate plus or minus there. Was that, uh, did you feel like I really put on the Homer goggles there, Jeff, or, or any bones to pick there or what? It's a very Homer, Homer centric vibe, but I, I'll, I, you know what? It's you're, I, I, I've said my piece. I, it's, it, it, it is a little aggressive to me because I don't, like they're gonna the, the way they do the zone match, like they're just gonna blow a lot of stuff in the early part of the season. Right. And it, honestly, like it, it's not even how physically talented they are. Like guys are just gonna be in the wrong positions, and someone's gonna be wide open on an eighty-yard touchdown. Like that's just that's that stuff's mm-hmm. just gonna happen. And I don't, I, I I don't think that because I'm just expecting that at this point. It uh, that's why I that's why I assume overall baseline. Like, and it also matters when we talk about like. When, like, at what point in the season are they a top right. two defense? Are we right. talking about like the end of November? Are we talking about like the BYU game? Like, those are those are all really different. Are we talk about average over the course sure. of the season, you yeah, know? sure. So it just it's hard. Like, I think in this case, it's I, I can't get there with that. And I think it honestly, like, I think it's just too strong. If you're talking about over the course of the season, I do think that if you're saying like, what could this be by the end of October going into November? Then I, I feel I feel more comfortable with that, but. I mean, last it's year like, it was a defense. It'd be too optimistic for me, but it's, it wouldn't be, like, outrageous. I just – the first part of the season, I just – it feels like they're just going to blow assignments because football's a hard game. I mean, yeah, but last just, year's I mean, defense was whatever, a yeah. was a top 25 unit for probably the first quarter of the season and then a top 20 unit and then a top 15 unit and then probably with a sugar ball, a top five unit. I mean, the growth yeah. was just exponential there. I think what I'm pretty excited about there this year is I think you could set that – you know, the, the, the pole position at something like around 10th. And, um, and so I think, you know, if they kind of experience a similar level of growth, they could really be pretty freaky by the end of the year. So uh, one quick point before we jump into the overall expectations for the team, I just wanted to point out mostly because I spent so freaking long doing this. So I feel like I need to at least, you know, plug it on the pod. Uh, one, one morning last week, um, I went back and looked over the f- last five years that if you have a top 10 defense on FEI, which is kind of just like my blanket advanced stat of choice, but plug in your advanced stat of choice, top 10 defense, you know, how many games are these teams winning? And what is there a big variance, like all that kind of stuff. And I looked at this and basically it was like all of those teams that have a top 10 defense are winning nine plus games. Most of them are at nine, 10, 11. And if they aren't, it's because their offense is like truly bad. Like, 60s are below nationally and you know as we kind of talked about on our offensive preview section i think there is a path for baylor to beat that bad offensively this year but i think it requires quite a few things going wrong for them so i think um i think that is why i think we'll as we get into here you know maybe we'll set in as the baseline you know most people are kind of predicting somewhere around nine or ten wins for baylor and i think it's pretty fair just given what we know about this defense and the fact that the offense would have to be pretty terrible for them to kind of fall below that so anyway let's let me get let's start with this question for overall team expectations jeff you know do what do you have baylor as the preseason big 12 favorite so the math, I'm going to do a 30 second round on this. The mathematician in me does not. Um, I say mathematician like I, some kind of fancy like numbers dork. Um, the stat, the statistician nerd in me doesn't like rankings. I always prefer classification. So what instead of saying the favorite, I would say that they are in a group that I would consider to be 
the favorites to win the to I'm not going to say win the game, but I will say make the title game. That's probably how I would phrase it because I just the saying that a te- unless a team is overwhelmingly better than everyone else in the um, league, like Ohio State is. Um, it's very difficult to just say to like kind of make that as a blanket statement until you get close. So my they are definitely that's a long winded answer saying they are in the top group for me that would be preseason favorites to make it. Sure. Yes, I think that's fair. Yeah, like I always kind yeah. of think about it tier as as far as tiers too, and and of course the word favorite doesn't mean greater than fifty percent. Obviously, yeah. I think it, you know you could put it at something like fifteen twenty percent or something like that. Yeah. Um, before we really kind of jump into expectations for the year, I wanted to do a quick exercise and, and I'll read these out loud really quickly, but I wanted you to pick three games from the season that just interest you for whatever reason. It could be because you think it's going to be a hell of a heavyweight matchup. It could be because it's a trap game. It could be because it's an interesting schematic matchup. So I'll read out the list, Jeff, and just, and you, you don't have to do three if you don't want to, maybe if we only want to do one or two each, but you know, so we're talking at BYU, uh, you know, Texas State. Well, you don't want to go with Albany? Uh, no, I don't want to. I don't think that's going to be int- – well, I mean, hell, I'm pretty interested in that game, but not top three on the season. Yeah, um, it, it, no, absolutely not. Okay, at, at, at BYU, home versus Texas State. At Iowa State, home versus Oklahoma State. At West Virginia, home versus Kansas. At Tech, at OU, home versus Kansas State, home versus TCU, finishing out the season on a Friday at Texas so I, you know, I it's one of those things where it's like I could name every single game. So right, it gets a right. But that's why I wanted that. to like figure out like but, what is really getting you going here. The, so the first one, like I, I'm interested in the BYU game, but I that, I think that's almost too generic because it's just the first. It's right. the first good game they play. The first one that really jumps out at me is at Iowa State because I agree the scheme like that is going to be a more difficult matchup than it was last year because of the nature of the running game. Like the, in order to move the ball well against the Iowa state defense, you have to be able to consistently execute short drop back game. And that, you know, if, uh, if you jump way back in the way, jump in the way back machine to uh, 2018 and then 2019 under rule when they played Iowa state, they actually did a phenomenal job moving the ball between the 20s against Iowa State in both those games. They really struggled in the slants, red zone. Slants, slants, yeah, slants, slants, was, slants. Yeah, that's all it was. It was Charlie Brewer like getting the ball, turning, slant, turning, slant. I mean, and they just they got five to seven yards on that quick passing game up and down the field. Um, they weren't able to convert that in the red zone to like big offensive points, but they put up huge amounts of yards in both those games right. early on. Um, that's like that's going to be the first big test of the to me of the drop back game because those are not plays you can execute well against uh, with play action like that. That stuff only works if you're doing a drop back, mm-hmm. you know, really out of shotgun. Right. So I mean, well, it can. I, if, if we see a bunch of three step drops, I'm going to like absolutely die laughing. It'd be incredible, but I don't think we'll see that. Um, <laughs> but that that short drop back passing game against Iowa State is really the first one that I want to see because that's that's a tool in the toolbox that they didn't have last year. That I want to see what it looks like against a what I think is a really good team that. 
to the, you have the number three. They are not in my top tier. They're in the tier right below. But like, still, they're they're well, a I better have them than in that tier below team. because I would have Baylor and Kansas State in their own tier. Just to be uh, to be okay. clear. Okay. <laughs> then okay, then I'm with you. The uh, so, but like, I that's that's the first game that jumps out to me. What about you? Like, what's the first game when you're looking down that you see like that's the one? Yeah. That I'm, I'm interested in. Well, I mean, I, I had the same answer. I'm not going to really Personally, repeat everything you said. Yeah, and I, it, it's just to add on a little bit, I think it's because it's as you said, it's it's a game where if Baylor's defense like really already is humming at a top five, top ten level, like yeah, maybe they can go in there, squeeze out 21 points just by running really, really base stuff and get out of there with a win. But I sure as hell wouldn't want to count on that. And so yeah. that's a game where it's really going to be. All right, Shapin, you got to fit the ball in here to Sims in the window. You got to fit the ball in here to Josh Cameron in the window. Like, okay, we're going to take a shot now. Um, you know, they're going to try and beat those safeties over the top. You know, can our tackles hold up in 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 pass pro against Will Montgomery? Uh, yeah, Will McDonald, excuse McDonald. me. McDonald. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that Iowa State schematically is a really tough matchup for Baylor, given how they play their um, their corners and safeties in the flats like that, and then keep everything in front of them. They really yeah. force you to execute over and over and over again. So I think they're going to have a good inside linebacker play. Anyway, but that was a lot on Iowa State. Well, let me say one thing on BYU, because I, I, there's probably a bunch of fans that are wondering, like, why not BYU? Right. I, I, I'll say this. I, I'm, I'm, of course, interested in that game. This is, again, like, this is a top three. But the thing I'll say on BYU, and I know, like, not to do a BYU thing, because we'll talk about BYU very heavily next week. Um, th- when I look at when I look at schematic matchups, or when I look at like individual player matchups, there are certain things like they can absolutely lose that BYU game. Like they're not even favored to win it. But the stuff that could go wrong for Baylor in that game, and if they lost. It's all stuff that I am expecting to be significantly improved later in the year, if that makes sense. Yes. So, like, if they flounder on it against BYU and they lose, it's not, like, a huge concern to me. Like, it sucks that they lost the game, but it's, you know, the stuff that I'm expecting them to struggle with against BYU is stuff that I would expect to improve significantly. The stuff around the dropback passing game, like, we haven't seen that under Grimes on a sustained level. Like, that's brand new. How does this team handle that? on the road against an Iowa State team that yep. it's always tough to play up in Ames. Like, that's why that one stands out to me a bit more because there are answers to questions. Like, if they lose that game because of, you know, they didn't play well, like, it's possible that the stuff that they can't do in that game is potentially a um, fatal flaw for the rest of the season in a way that I don't think we'll see against BYU. So that's yeah. that's that's why I go with Iowa State first. Okay, so I went first this time. Like for you, then what is your if Iowa State's the first one for both of us? What's your second like game that you look at and go? That's that's the one I'm really interested in looking down the schedule. Uh, I mean, I think like avert thine eyes. Like I'm just going to be afraid of. I think every Big Twelve or Baylor fan is just kind of afraid for what Thursday night in West Virginia looks like, uh, <coughs> especially if. Daniels and that offense like come out the first five games and are just like yeah. crushing it. Um, I think that'll be a really interesting case. Um, and obviously the, the, the variety of versions, this could go narrative wise, depending on whether Baylor is five and zero going into this game versus three and two going into this game yeah, or, it's very or, different. or two and three. I mean, honestly, like, yeah. I mean, it, like obviously I don't think either of us would think that's very likely, but there's possibility. And so then all of a sudden you're heading to a Thursday night game. Anyway, I just think that the, 
the variance is that that'll be an interesting kind of midseason checkoff point to look at because you know both for west virginia and for baylor i think the game is going to be tough no matter what just because thursday night in morgantown but the different possibilities for where either team could be at in their season whether like the wheels are falling off for neil brown and then all of a sudden you know they try and come back and fight for him on this thursday night game or it's like they're killing it baylor's killing it this is a top matchup uh, I just think there's a lot of different ways the narrative, or, you know, I, both of these team seasons could be going going into this game, and then the game is going to be tough almost no matter what. I, I said last pod that I look at I look at West Virginia's defense and I get a little bit scared for them. They basically lost all of their best players except for one or two, and then replaced them with a bunch of FCS transfers. Could go great, could go horribly, um, but I think that offense is going to be pretty dang good. So that's another one that that jumps out to me. Yeah, I that that was not I, originally. I had that one as one of my three. I don't anymore. But I the but just because not because I the, that's number four for me is probably is the way to say. Yeah. It. The other thing that makes me real nervous is they just like Baylor they they play on the first and then they don't play again until the thirteenth and then they play on the twenty second. So I mean mm-hmm. it's they have like West Virginia is going like depending on how the season is going to go into like the Baylor game for them is a huge pivot point for the entire season because they're going to have tech they're going to be at Texas but prior to that they'll have gotten Kansas they'll have Virginia Tech and Pitt and I don't, I don't they're playing some I don't know who their FCS school choice is but you know they've got some baked in bought win in there but yeah I mean like it's it is very possible for me to see a scenario where their offense is just kind of humming along and like you show up on a Thursday night and you just this i don't think this team is really capable of hanging in a shootout um and if the defensive secondary is you know that honestly like that's still before i would i would think that the secondary has like locked in all the way even though it's after a bye um it's just a little too soon and so it just that, that's one where i look at it and go you know there's there's a lot of danger there but that that's my number 4 um so like I think the one for me though right after that what that originally that was my num- that was my second one but it's not anymore the one I'm looking at more and more like I, I think it's tech um, right that like that the narrative tech game, <laughs> that I mean that, yeah there's a narrative there um, you know the, like now Patrick Mahomes is going to be there for that weekend because they're going to enshrine him like that's just that's going to be a real big game for the for the tech guys honestly like they 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 I think tech's like a 5 maybe a 6 win team like right in there just I'd because I'd feel great if I was a tech fan and they got to 6 this year. If they get yeah, if they get to 6 with that offensive line like y'all tech fans can start heavily drinking in excitement like that that they they got something cooking there. Um, uh, real quick but, before you get into this Jeff, um I just want you to include this in your answer if you can do it quickly. Um their defense is going to be solid this year. Does Deruder's scheme like? Would you give that as kind of like a plus or a minus matchup wise versus versus Baylor's offense scheme? I mean, it's a sorry. plus. It's a plus. Yeah. So like a, plus, a plus in their in direction. In their direction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's a minus for Baylor and a plus in their direction. The so that's another. Their aspect. front seven is text. Text front seven is going to be really really good. Like just full stop. Like don't that tech has been so bad for for really since dating back to about two thousand nine I think, but. That front seven is going is going to be really good, and they're going to be able to hang in games because the front seven, barring injuries, the front seven is going to be able to keep them in games. It's yeah. not you know it's not as good as Baylor's. It doesn't have the depth. They don't have quite the linebacker play there, but they are still that they are still really really good. And add in the fact that that is a that's a game that the tech staff is going to be able to look at and go, 
we know Baylor well enough that we think we can um, scheme up he- very heavily in that game. And so I, I, that's I just I see them targeting that game. You know, Baylor has not. The last time Baylor won in Lubbock had to have been like ninety five, maybe ninety three. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's been a while now. Of course, a huge part of that is. Baylor was terrible for 15 years, and they played the game in Dallas. But they still haven't <laughs> they still won out there yeah. since like 92 or 93. So it's it's very plausible for me to look at that game and just see a rabid Tech fan base because that is like when they're when they're good, that's a tough place to play. Yeah. And if they are like if they're hyped up for everything like that, that to me is the that's the biggest trap game for me. Like right ahead of West Virginia, just because they're going to be. They're going to be coming out of a bye week for West Virginia, whereas the Tech game is the Off week Kansas before. before Oklahoma. Yeah. And so it's just like you come out of the Kansas game, you're like, okay, like we're gearing up. We got to go to Oklahoma in two weeks. Like it's real easy for me to see a situation where they don't write Tech off, but, you know, it after that, it's like it's at OU, home for K State, home for TCU. That's at a Texas. real home stretch. And I mean, like that's a. That's a really tough November, and Texas Tech. If I think they're going to do what they do, they might have like two. They might only have like three wins at that point. So it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. it's really easy for me to look at that schedule and see yeah. like TCU last year, where we're like, yes, what is going on? Right. Like that's that to me is the game that has the biggest TCU twenty twenty one factor to it. Yep. Um, Last okay, one so, I'll choose here. Um, yeah. Is that what you're going to ask, Jeff? Sorry, I didn't. I didn't yeah, I was going to ask you. I was like, okay, so like, what's your next one? So I think. Uh, the last one here, and I think there's a reason we kind of have been going for the trappier games. Like, obviously, like, I can't wait to freaking watch Baylor play Kansas State and go against what I think is going to be an awesome team against an awesome coach at home. But I feel like the the variance of what that game is going to produce is not very wide. And so I think our minds are naturally going to these more kind of like trap games where the variance is greater. And so for my last one, I'm going to choose the TCU game at home. This one gives me real strong potential uh, last year against Tech vibes, um, where last year we just had to win that game to go to the Big 12 title game. Uh, Tech was not very good. Obviously, they had a coaching change and all that other kind of weirdness. And then, of course, Baylor apparently was dealing with the flu. But the weather was awful. I mean, it's going to be at home late in you know November. The weather is going to be really finicky around that time um, in Waco around that time. But really what I'm thinking about there is – I think there's a pretty decent chance that TCU is just flat out just like a solid six, seven, eight win team this year. Uh, but yeah. there's also a chance that they're like com- that TCU coming into that game is like a three win team that by the end of the season is playing like an eight win team. Um, yeah. I, I really like their defensive coordinator, um, Joe Gillespie. I think obviously Dykes' offense, the more reps Morris gets by the end of the year, he should be pretty dang good. So I think it could be a situation where their, their record isn't. Say that again. Heisman front runner Chandler Morris. Okay, he's, there we go. Yeah, great. yeah. Uh, he done. plays yeah. like it. <laughs> but I think uh, I think I think it could be a situation where like Baylor only has one loss up to that point. They're looking. They know that you know maybe Texas is playing really well. They're looking ahead to that game next week. Obviously, I'm doing a lot of ifs and stuff. But uh, to make it less if oriented, I think there's a strong chance that TCU has just got like an average or a below average record at that point. 
Baylor has a great record, but TCU is actually playing like a much better team by the end of the season just because we're expecting so much growth yeah. out of that first-year staff that we both like what they do on both sides of the ball. So it could, you know, it just could be a situation where, you know, Baylor's probably never going to look ahead for, you know, the rivalry type game. But, you know, that game has been messy for the last few years, and I kind of expect nothing less at that point. There's probably going to be a bunch of TCU fans at the stadium. Um, it, it's always an interesting atmosphere. So, that, yeah, that's, that's my last pick there. Yeah, the TCU game ought to be really is. I expect it to be really good. Um, but my my final pick is I, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go big and big and glamorous for this one. I, I, you know, when I was in college, my freshman year was 01. The idea that Baylor would have a really like well balanced and healthy and potentially significant football rivalry with the University of Oklahoma, like I mean, like I'd have thought you were. Bipolar. Seriously. It's funny because I weren't. I wasn't and sure whether you were going to say Texas or OU there. So that's fine. Well, I was going to say OU, but the honest answer on that is like Texas has Texas hasn't been good since '09. Like yeah. they just haven't. And so, like at a certain point, you unless you are a massive brand name, and everyone knows, unless you're a blue blood, unless you're a blue blood, um, game quality matters. I mean, it does, and it just Texas. There have been close games with Texas a lot of times under Art. Um, and there've been close games, you know, outside of that. But those teams have never been particularly good. Those game, those games against Baylor have not really been meaningful outside of case closed in um, thirteen. I mean, they just they don't have that many huge games. That thirteen and then fifteen with the horrendous missing out on the Sugar Bowl w- was very painful. But like that's kind of it. When I look at Oklahoma, though, you know, they have I think six significant games in the last 11 years against OU. And there is a chance that I don't know that Venables is going to get them there. I trust Venables infinitely more than I do Sark. Like I, I, he's just a better coach. And I think that staff's better just top to bottom than what Texas has. Um, But, you know, I don't know that they're going to get there, but there's also like a really, there's a really strong chance that like on November 5th, Baylor is going to play, Oklahoma at 7 p.m. and it's like number six Baylor visiting number three Oklahoma. Like especially it's, with it's their like, early season schedule, yeah, yeah, especially with their early season schedule. Like Oklahoma's schedule is if they can get. I mean, I mean Nebraska's going to Nebraska, so like I just at this point, <laughs> like I, you know, whatever with them. Um, but with their early season schedule, like there's a real, there's a real chance that they're undefeated or they've got like one loss. Like that's, yeah. that's very realistic as they get better over the course of the season. If I think if Venables is even close, so like there's a very, you know, on the one hand, there's like a 30, 40% chance that Venables doesn't really know how to be the head coach's first year. And they struggle to like six or seven wins. And that's okay. Cause I think they'll get there in year two and year three. There's also another chance that with that early, in-season schedule and with how they're going to play defense by the second half that that's you know two top 10 teams and potentially like a borderline top five team and so i'm going to hold out for that one because i do think that there's like a real chance that that's like that game could be a build-up nationally in a way that baylor very rarely sees because usually when you have those big games it's like 
Baylor number 21 going up against Oklahoma number six. Like that's kind of the vibe we got last year. That's, you know, that was a lot of the vibes, like not in 2011, but that was the case even in 2013 when Baylor was, Baylor kicked the crap out of them, but it was still a, oh, Oklahoma is so much better. Baylor's lower. The the, the buzz was not there for that. I think that there's a real chance that, that that's like huge national, like, that's the storyline going into that week level buzz of these are the two heavyweights in the Big 12 this year, the best like, and you can just see all those storylines of like, you know, these are the two best teams in the last 10 years in the Big 12 even if that's not true because Baylor's two down years I think put them behind Oklahoma State, but like those are, these are the two most teams that matter the most in the last 10 years, and this is the last time they're going to play in Norman, and it's a top five, and I just, that there's feels like there's the potential for a potentially like when I say historic, I think y'all know what I mean. Like, not like actual historic, like momentous, actual yeah, like, like momentous, like huge game right there. Because yeah. also those two teams match up really well. Like mm. Venables versus Aranda is a super fun schematic yeah, discussion, that's, that's and sexy. it just it it's it's got all the makings of like an awesome awesome game. So that's going to be my number. That's going to be my number three. Cool. I think that was a fun discussion. Uh, quickly on that OU game. I went to the 2018 one when Baylor, that was when they got bowl eligible that year. Obviously, no, they didn't get bowl eligible against OU. Uh, I was living up there at the time. But the vibe when I was walking there in my Baylor polo, that every OU fan was very nice to us. But it was very much like, a, oh, it's cute that you're here to watch your team get destroyed. Like, that's that's nice. So I'm going to try and make it up there again this year. And I wonder if the vibe shifts. If it's like, well, like you're the enemy now. Like, we're taking you seriously. So I will say, like, in defense of OU fans, um, my dad, my dad's a West Point grad. And so anytime West Point plays within, like, one day's drive of, of Dallas, um, we usually go to the game because he loves to go. And I love going to games with him. And so we were at the Army Oklahoma game in, oh. I think it was 2018 because I think it was the week before that that game, if I recall. So I think it was 2018, and they were like, when when teams are down to Army, usually what ends up happening is like in the first half, everyone's like, "Go Army!" You know, thank you for supporting the troops. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to like make this political, but it's like it's very like gung ho you know, Americana, all this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But then when like Army's actually winning the game in the second half, they're like, there's they're a like, lot, there's a lot of puckering wars. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of puckering going on, a lot of nervous energy. Like, how do I say this stuff? And like, I, like I being at that game, the Oklahoma army game, like I have to give those fans props because that, that, that never happened against Oklahoma. And I've seen it happen in a bunch, honestly, like not at Baylor, but I've seen it happen in a bunch of places. And those fans didn't do that. So I will I will give oh, the nice. Oklahoma fans props on that in terms of like they may not treat you like, you know, hunky dory and all this kind of stuff and they, maybe it's a little too kiddish, but they they've the Oklahoma fans in my experience like that's a tough spot for a fan base to be in and they handled that one well. So Nice. Okay, um as is tradition, I will say Jeff, you know, we'll take whatever time you got left here at the end. Um but I yeah, um let's let's finish out here with kind of Record wise, obviously, you know, I hate talking about record before the season, but I think we're finally, you know, we're really kind of lining up with our toes at the starting line here. So, yeah, I mean, we, I think we have, we have to put stuff out at like exactly, in a now, but, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, what is your like expectation record wise? Um, what would be again, barring injuries, what would be like a number that almost regardless of context would disappoint you? Um, for the season 
are we taking injuries out of the equation? No. So, like, let's say that, like, so let's say Baylor suffers. Shaping gets banged up against um, in in the second quarter of BYU, like that level stuff. No, no, no. I'm saying like let's let's assume a normal level of injuries. Let's assume assume Shaping's out for a game or two. You know, maybe Apu rolls an ankle and he's out for a few weeks. Like stuff that okay. every team deals with, but not like the bus crash. You know, uh, I'll say if they win fewer than eight games, I'd feel like they didn't they didn't live up to expectations. Right. And if yeah. they went eight and four, how, do you think you would be like that? Was very context dependent, or do you think there's yeah? Oh, I, the schedule's hard, and I, I'm, I'm gonna keep saying that the entire year. Like the schedule, like I, I brought the schedule up as we were looking at the games. I'm looking at this, and it's just kind of like they have two different stretches where there's no break. Right. I mean, there's just not. And you know, these guys are not professionals. Their bodies, their bodies are not developed to the point where they don't feel the. They don't. Their body doesn't feel quite that hurt and can't recover as quickly like like uh, NFL guys can. And I just th- there are a couple of games in these stretches where I'm looking at it and going like, man, that just that's going to be really hard to get through. And I, I th- so the eight and four is going to be real context dependent. Like if they're eight and four and it turns out the rest of the Big Twelve is crap and you know they, right. they like none of the wide receiver like that's one thing. But if it's eight and four and they're and they you know they went two and four in one score games. Right in an eight four in the hardest schedule they played in fifteen years. Like I'm not like that's not gonna bother me. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be bummed that they weren't able to do better with the line play that they got. But I won't feel like they failed. I won't feel like they underperformed. Yeah, yeah. I think you know there's gonna be at least one Big Twelve team where they get the Scott Frost narrative this year because they're like one in five in one score games. Um, yeah, that's just you know, with how good we both expect this league to be. How many games? Are going to be. I guarantee you, if you did every every conference, you know, P five, G five, everything, that if you if you took the percentage of all of the games that are being played between all of the opponents that have a spread at seven points or under, I think the Big Twelve is probably easily the leader there. I mean, there's just going to be so many yeah. close games, and so more of that for Baylor. I think I think I'm with you. I think eight and four is context dependent. Anything below that, I mean, honestly, even if Shapen got knocked out against BYU, I expect this team to get to eight wins. Like. I think Jerome's is great. We didn't really get a chance to get into all that. I just think this team is talented enough in the right spots that um, they really should be getting to eight games this year, barring some true catastrophes. And I wouldn't count shape, losing Shapen for the season as a true catastrophe at this point. So anyway, um, I think if I could, if I could create a line at somehow at nine and a half wins, I feel like I, that would be like my most likely scenario at this point. Um, and I think yeah. 10 and two gets them into the big 12 title game. So, We'll see what happens there. Um, I just I don't think know. That, if, I don't know if two conference losses gets them into the title game. I mean, it might, but it always has up to this point. So it would be pretty. It, it feels like there's going to be. It feels if there was ever a season to have an absolutely bananas tiebreaker that comes down to like point differential in a game mm-hmm. in October, like sure. this is going to be year. Sure. Um, yeah. And one thing I want to bring up real quick about expectations, like Jeff and I, we're about to talk about playoff expectations to really close it out, Jeff, um, here in a minute, but. Um, Unless you're unless you're as talented and as well coached as a team like Alabama and Georgia, and I think Baylor's extremely well coached, but let's just be like they don't have the talent of those squads, right? What what having that kind of combination of, of of a great team allows you to do is it allows you to win when you play your poorest, when you're at that level, and that's why you can bet on Alabama going eleven and one. Um, it's not because they're only favorites in 11 games. It's because they yeah. can play really poorly in two or three games and just rely on out-talenting like them. Yes. Exactly. Baylor is just not at that level yet. 
Um, and they, you know, honestly, like given the level of talent of Alabama, Georgia, they're probably never going to be at that level. So my point there is that I think there is a really great shot and maybe the best shot Baylor will have in this kind of period of like going 12 and 0 of going in 11 and one. But I think like when you're making the, 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 the distribution curve, like unless you're that freaking good, like those, you know, top two or three teams are in the country, like in Ohio state as well. Like you just, you don't college football is all about margin of error. Cause these kids are going to have a couple of down yeah. games. And so that's why I would put that number at closer to nine or 10. Yeah. I, I think, it, I think that's a hundred percent. That's a great way to phrase it because I, I don't think I would have, if the team develops how I think that they have a chance to do, I don't think I've ever felt not when I say confident, like they're going to, they could be in a game against Alabama. Like right. they could, and I like I don't I, I did just that sounds that sounds really bananas to say, but when I look at what they have on the in the front seven and on the offensive line, and then where the skill position talent could be, do I think they would beat Alabama? No, honestly, like right now, I I don't. But could they be in that game and potentially like if things break right, like win that game without having to have like you know two quick return touchdowns? Like it's just a fluke. Yes, they could. And so that's the thing that excites me most about a potential playoff run is that they're going to be able to be in what they're going to be able to be in that game. They wouldn't be the Washington, you know, they wouldn't be Washington Um, at the flip side. You're 100 percent right. And it's the reason why, like, I actually don't think that they will make the playoffs. I I, when I say that, like, it's more of that. Like, I I, honestly right now I'm at nine and three. Like, that's kind of where I've, I've settled out at because it just when I look through the schedule, they have two stretches at really in the, the Iowa State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia game. Like that is, it's tough to have the buy that early in the year um, because you, you, you want, typically, I think you want to have it a little bit later. But, you know, they're going to go at BYU and then they're going to come home for Texas State. And they've got that at Iowa State, home against Oklahoma State, at West Virginia. And it just, it seems if they, if they went two and one in that stretch, that would be pretty remarkable. And they haven't even, yeah. yeah, And like, they wouldn't even be, and if they went one and two in that stretch, like I would, I would still feel pretty comfortable, but you know, that's, I'm expecting at least one loss out of that group of teams. And then that doesn't count at BYU. And that doesn't count the final four stretch of at OU home against K state home against TCU at Texas. And so they've got, I think three of the top five teams are going to be the last month of the season. Two of those games are going to be on the road. The other game is a rivalry game against your home opponent. And their one bye week will have been like six weeks ago and everyone's going to feel banged up. It's just very, mm. it's very difficult. I hadn't for really me to thought see. about that bye week timing. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just, it's very difficult for me to see, think of a scenario where they don't get through if I'm being honest, I think that at Tech through the end of the season and don't drop two of those five games. Like, I, I just – it seems like that's going to happen. I would have loved for them to go 10-2 and two and just kind of be, figure out a way to get in there. And, like, if they could go 10-2 and two with the schedule and they didn't make the playoffs, that would be one of those classic, like – What could have been? You know, everyone's going to say they're not good enough. Like, that seems honestly like what that, – that seems like – that would be the most Baylor thing ever, by the way, which is to, like, have a team that is good enough to be in the playoffs – to go ten and two, but to not ha- and to have a really tough schedule, but because everyone thinks the Big Twelve is bad, and this is the one year where it's like actually no, these guys are really good. Baylor played an impossibly difficult schedule. 
and still go ten and two and like not make it and win a, win a Sugar Bowl. Like that would be the most Baylor thing ever, and I would I, that'd be an incredible season. But it just to make the playoffs, they can only have one loss, and yeah. I just don't know. I just don't see how they can get through this, barring like the offense being blow your shirt off level good. And there's a chance that that happens, but I just. I don't. I don't expect that to happen, and I don't think it's realistic for fans to expect it to happen right now. Like, if you if that does happen, I think it's a testament to how good the staff. Like, it's a testament to how good the staff and the team is, obviously. Yeah. But it, it should be pointed out. Like, it's that's really rare to get that level of performance, and so that that's where I kind of sit sit out. Like, I just I think it's going to be nine and three. I could honestly see eight and four. Um, to be blunt, like it just that makes a lot of sense because there's also I, I'm counting on there being at least one game in that stretch where they have the 2021 TCU game, and so yeah. I just I look at that and I go, okay, they're gonna have one they're gonna have one bad game because they're college kids, and then they've got two stretches where I just don't see how they don't get through it without dropping one yeah. game, and that's all of a sudden that's nine and three. So that's that's where I get to right now. And I say all that, and then my follow-up statement is: I think they'd be. I think this team would have beaten last yep. year's team, and oh, yeah. that team went twelve and one. And I think they'd beat the twenty-three team. So it's. I think it, one it thing that's worth returning here too, Jeff, year. is yes, the schedule is very difficult. But as I talked about with like, I looked at that five-year retrospective. Like, presumably, some of those teams in there that all finished with nine wins and above, like, had hellacious schedules. And again, the lesson I took from that is like, if you have a defense that is that damn good, like your offense really needs to be pretty poor in order to like make it not work. And of course, like we've talked about again, like there's a possibility that happens, but so that's kind of what I got my eyes on. The other last real quick random thought before we get out of here is I think it would be really big this year for Baylor to like really um, cultivate uh, or like it results in it being like especially their defense like if they could get like a national reputation where the kids are buying in like not being overconfident in themselves but like really get that reputation of being a top 10 top five defense that is just like smothering everyone for the first week of the season or for the first month or two of the season like they hold BYU to 17 points whereas BYU is scoring 50 points in every other game you know something kind of silly like that and where they can hang their hat on that for the rest of the year I think something like that they could kind of motivate them and kind of have them realize like oh yeah we are this good to kind of help keep them that consistent every game that's something i've got my eye on and you know of course you could see a flip side of that on the offense happening as well but i think it's just more likely on the defense so any last thoughts before you get out of here jeff yeah i will say that it kind of in a similar vein is that like the baylor's going to get a benefit of the doubt this year that that fans are not going to ever remember them getting and that's going to be for two reasons the first one is they they beat the crap out of Ole Miss. And the, I mean, they only won that game by 10, but they beat the crap out of Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that that is going to stick with – that's going to stick with a lot of pundits and a lot of other people. Um, and the second one, though, and, like, it, this is just this is just stating a factual – this is just stating a fact. Um, Bryles was not well-liked by media members. And this is taking out all the other discussion. This is a, this is a fact about his interaction with the media members. Bryles was not well liked by media members, and the team was not well liked by um, media members and really other people in the industry. And that you know they had this reputation as being a little bit of a uh, kind of a Death Star uh, stormtrooper type of vibe, where they always talked a lot, and they just they weren't well liked. And I, that's not against any of those individual players. It's just a statement of how I know other 
other national teams and how I know some other head coaches felt in private about Bryles and those teams. And so it always felt, you know, in 2014 and then I think again in like 15, there was this feeling of like Baylor's really getting screwed. And I don't know that Baylor was really getting screwed so much as they just weren't getting the benefit of the doubt in the way that other teams might. Mm. Um, that's not going to happen with Aranda because people like Aranda and national writers like Aranda. And so if they're like five and one, like the amount of positive press that Baylor's going to be getting, particularly after the GB decision, like that's going to matter for like a playoff mm. push because they are Baylor is like, this is going to be very rare, but like I actually think Baylor has a good chance to start being overranked for the first time in our history because <laughs> Yeah. It you know outside of I think I think they're better than Oklahoma, but they're right where they should be right now. That never happens. Right. You know Oklahoma's a little overrated, but they're still in the like Baylor's in the right spot. Um, I think Baylor has a chance to be overrated a little bit this year by uh, at least by midseason because people really like Aranda and that like when when coaches are filling out you know when coaches are not coaches but you know when graduate assistants are filling out uh, the coaches you know. Top 25, and when the AP guys are filling that stuff out and they haven't had a chance to watch the game, like what do they remember? They remember that they like Aranda, and so they bumped them three levels higher than, than they should. Like that's just how humans work, and we're going to see that this year for Baylor, and it's going to be a little weird. It's going to be awesome, but it's going to be a little weird to yeah. actually have that happen to Baylor for the first time. Um, yeah, I I guess my final thoughts on this are I, um, I'm really looking forward to this season. I think that this is. I don't mean this in a doomsayer way, but there's there's a realistic chance that this is like a peak season for Baylor historically. Like in the same way that like I walked into the twenty or the 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 uh, I guess twenty 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 one uh, basketball season. Like this has the chance to be a high watermark for right. the Baylor men's team historically. It doesn't mean they're going to win the title, but we're it's unlikely that we're going to see the combination of depth in the front seven combined with the offensive line talent, yeah. like at least in the next five years, yeah. honestly. And I just, it, it would have to be further out than that based off the in current recruiting class for it to happen. Um, and so it just, I'm really looking forward to this season. I want to enjoy this season because right. there's, there's very few times where I can look at the start of the season and go like, this is one of the best teams that Baylor's gonna have or will ever have. The only other t only other time I can really remember looking at a team and thinking this was um, twenty fourteen, which was just like everything was kind of winding up together. It based off how recruiting was going, like there wasn't anything immediate in the next year or two, and then you don't know past that because it's Baylor and it's it's not a blue blood. So I just this is this is going to be a really fun season and I just, I want to enjoy it as much yep. as possible and not fret over like yep. future conference alignment stuff or NIL or anything else. Like the game and the season is in front of them. Like, let's just go have fun and enjoy that. And we'll see where Baylor ends up in two years. Cause no one really knows. So, yep. yeah, I think I'll sign us off here, Jeff with this. And, you know, I think hopefully with a joint statement that we both would agree with, uh, which is, you know, I think, there's a great chance, as you said, this is Baylor's greatest team ever. Uh, who knows what the future holds, but I think there's a really strong chance of that. That doesn't guarantee a playoff, but as you said, this is a team that couldn't compete if they get there. Uh, it's a hell of a hard Big 12. We expect it to be a tough road. As you said, it kind of doesn't even matter how you chunk up the season. Every chunk of it is very, very difficult. And so, yeah, let's just enjoy it. 
I think we're going to see, um, you know, as you said, a, a, a team that's well-respected nationally, that's playing really well, hopefully on both sides of the ball, um, and a lot of close games. And so we'll see what happens in those close games. But, I, I you know, I one of my themes this offseason has been bet on great coaching. And I think that, you know, I'm betting on Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. I'm betting on Matt Campbell at Iowa State. You know, I'm betting on Aranda and this staff at Baylor. I think given the level of talent, as you said, on both sides of the ball, but particularly up front on both sides of the ball, it's a great chance that Baylor's able to kind of reach a high here that they've never been able to. But as we talked about, it doesn't mean it's a failure if they don't get up that high because, you know, the, the, the odds there are not in your favor just with how wild college football tends to be for season by season. So looking forward to all of this next week. Thank you all for listening to this season preview. Um, y'all thank Jeff for squeezing this into his hectic schedule and life and everything else. Um, and much appreciate all the, um, all of y'all. Thank y'all so much. And we'll be seeing y'all next week. All right. Thanks y'all.